Welcome, welcome everybody. Thanks for listening and tuning in to the podcast. This is Chris Adams and you're listening to Beyond the Blind. You can check us out on iTunes, BTBN, subscribe, leave us a review, comment on the duck call. This is episode 24, episode 25, we're going to do the giveaway. So that'll probably be tomorrow. We're going to do it on Facebook. So jump on BTBN, find us on Facebook And uh, we have a podcast group, so join the podcast group and uh, keep up, talk about things going on, whatever the heck you guys want to talk about, so that way, uh, you know, just keep up to date with what's going on. Also, uh, the Instagram is btbn as well, check us out, follow along, Um, always just posting random stuff everywhere, man, I got way too much stuff going on, so I'm just trying to keep it as much information out there as I can. So, hopefully you guys are doing well. It's been crazy times. You've got, you know, this COVID thing happening for the last couple months. You've got the riots happening now. Um, there was something on the news the other day where some some monkeys broke into a lab in India the other day and actually hijacked a box of COVID-tainted blood. It's like, come on, 2020, what the heck else can you really throw at us that we haven't seen yet? It's been the weirdest damn year. I can't even wait for waterfowl season because it's just going to be... It's going to be a wild one if it follows this trend. Anyway, enough with the BS. Um, Like I said, thank you guys for the shares, the follows, everything. Jump on to the episodes, share them, and comment on that picture of the duck call on uh, BTBN's page. And that way uh, you get an extra entry into the... Into the giveaway, you got one or two days left. Get you that sweet, sweet Buckeye burl that's spalted. And uh, it's just, I want to keep it, man. I'm in the house messing around with it today. And it's just cool stuff. Anyway, today we've got Ron Davis on. And he is a call maker out of Ohio. We, uh, we've done a lot of guys from the South, man. And everybody seemed to be... Uh, southern guys and i don't know if it's just people i've talked to people that hit me up that want to be on the podcast but ron davis said we need to have some guys north of the mason dixon line on there so uh went ahead and had him on and thank him so much for joining us today he does some just really phenomenal work dude his his inlays the brickwork pattern that he does it's all just so intricate and it being a call maker and anybody else who's out there a call maker who's tried messing with that stuff it is a headache um, the glue lines with all that stuff, it just, it's a nightmare. I can't imagine it. I'm looking forward to talking to him. And uh, without further ado, Ron Davis. So, how are you doing today, Ron? Oh, I'm doing well. And yourself? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. It's finally starting to feel like summer here in Missouri. It was uh, almost 90 like a month ago and we were out in the river swimming having some fun and then it dropped back down to like the 60s and 70s all of may and this week it's finally back up into the high 80s almost 90s so we're right about on pace uh yeah our weather has been we're hot then it cooled off today was a hot humid day it was about 85 but uh the, the wind it's got a nice breeze now and um it's down to about 80 but very cool. Where are you? You're, you're an Ohio guy, aren't you? Yes. Where yep. are you at in Ohio? Uh, about an hour southwest of Cleveland. Hour southwest of Cleveland. Let me think about... Yeah. 
I've been through a few times. I uh, that's one area of the country I haven't lived at. It's kind of the West Coast, and uh, right there in that central part of the the Midwest. I don't know how it's called the Midwest, but uh, Ohio has always been in the Midwest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, see, that's all. It's always crazy to me. Oh, are you, like, by, like, Canton and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm probably just an hour plus uh, straight east or straight west of Canton. In Mansfield, you said? Uh, no, it's a little little town of Spencer, Ohio. Spencer. Um, it's just a little one-light town. Okay. A uh, small little rural community. Right so on. Kind of nice. I live right in town and can annoy the neighbors with all my noisemakers. Yeah, absolutely. What is the uh, what's the consensus around the neighborhood? Do they does everybody know? Does everybody come up? Do you ever have like people come up and talk to you about calls? I always have the neighborhood kids come up to the to the garage and start asking questions. Um, no, I mean they've all kind of known. I mean, as as I started, um, now we just got new neighbors with young kids, so I don't know how that all's going to go, but. Maybe I scared away the old ones with uh, with my calls. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, we, we lived here in this neighborhood. We've lived here in this house for 22, 23 years now. And, uh, you know, so it, everyone's been here except, you know, the neighbor, he just he retired and he moved to be closer to grandkids. And now we got new neighbors. But other than that, everyone's the same. Nice. And you've, uh, yeah. is that like close to the same area that you've grown up in pretty much the whole time? Yep, yep. My wife, she's grown up in this town and has uh, lived here all her life. I grew up about 10 miles away. My mom and dad and sister still live over that way, so everybody's close. That's very cool. It's, uh, yeah. My, the majority of my family, my little brother, as soon as he uh, got out of the Navy, jumped in for Tampa, so now he lives halfway across the country. And then uh, the majority of my family lives in Kansas City, and I live like three hours away. And, yeah. uh, Three hours isn't long when you're driving, but on a day-to-day basis, that might as well be Florida. It's just as much of a pain in the butt to get up there. <laughs> yeah, um, no, everybody is close now. Uh, my wife's sister, three, four years ago, moved back from Texas, so that was uh, the only one who was really out. Nice. Everyone's did, pretty close, so it's nice. Did you... Uh, it was like, what's the water fouling like up there? Are you guys hunting fields or public land? What do you got going on? We got very little public land up where we're at. I mean, there's small little tracks of it. Uh, so we hunt a lot of fields, farm ponds, maybe the river, a lot of private property. You have to get permission and access for. I uh, I'm a really big fan of the farm pond, man. It's uh, it's overlooked. Everybody thinks of like pond jumping and stuff like that, but those little bitty water holes. And if you have birds around, you know, it's it's always a good hunt. If they're either there or they aren't. Right, right. If they're there, it's it's a nice, quick hunt. I got one that's like just around the corner from me. You know, it's probably about a mile and a half tops. It's nice for a if you got to be back quick for something, you know. And, you can set up quick, get there, get out. Um, sometimes it, sometimes the birds work, sometimes they do. So yeah, my uh, you know, it's hunting. Go ahead. It's hunting, you know, uh, and, and that's kind of typical. But I'd say a majority of our hunting is in fields. Fields? Is it? Uh, what are we hunting? Corn or like winter wheat? 
mostly cornfields, yes. Cornfields, very. Uh, corn, soybeans, you can do all right. The soybeans sometimes, you know, if the birds are, are working them, um, you, you can do all right. Geese mostly. We don't get a lot of ducks. You get a big push. Late in the season, around Christmas time, um, a push comes in right at the end of our season. Uh, depending on how Lake Erie freezes or how Canada freezes or just a weather pattern, it just takes a good push of bad weather to get them out down this way. I was gonna say, man. <clears throat> I was gonna say, man, because uh, in Missouri, we don't have a lot of ag in my part of the state. Um, we got the Ozark Mountains and stuff like that, and we have a plateau that Springfield and the little surrounding towns around it are all on so you have a little bit of flatland and uh there'll be some ag out there but you will not get ducks into the corn unless it is just real cold or it is just a super hot field and they happen to fly over and see a bunch of geese using it and then you'll start pounding on the ducks in there but uh soybeans is a good one because we our geese do not feed in soybeans uh you'll see them eating grass out of a uh, baseball field before you'll see them sit you know in the same a soybean field next to it and they'll be eating freaking grass next door no matter what the weather is it's uh it's always goofy we've never had any luck with soybeans but corn is always money man i uh i love dry field hunting yeah yep corn corn's where it's at soybeans uh, if you run in traffic, a lot of decoys out. Um, it can produce. Uh, sometimes they're using them, you know, and then you can hunt them. But it, it's hit and miss. Are you? What's the uh, style of hunting you prefer? Do you prefer to be on the X? Or do you prefer to run traffic? Oh, jeez. It depends. I guess. I guess some of the most fun hunts I've had has been running traffic. Because you you gotta work at it, you gotta call, you gotta flag, you, you, you throw all the decoys out there, and I don't know when it's so done and you 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 complete it, you you get a limit or maybe close to you, it just seems more rewarding, you know. Yeah, you feel accomplished. I, yeah, yeah, you, you get to call and, and work them a little better. If you're on the decks, I mean, which is the place to be, you know, you you have a good hunt but sometimes you can't be there and you just set up where you can and you don't traffic's going by and you do your best yeah it's uh it can be a lot of fun that x man it's like sometimes it's really really good to be on it we uh our setup that we like to do a lot because we just hunt residential honkers we don't have um any migrators they kind of stop around the kansas city area the columbia area that's all about two and a half hours north of us and um our duck numbers have fallen on the face you know like the last five to eight years they've really pushed out west so we've gone from doing primarily duck hunting to honker hunting and uh we're just hunting these residents and there's all these little towns kind of around 10 15 miles outside of springfield and uh we'll go pick one of these towns and we'll find their residential population it always seems like there's like 150 200 honkers you know around their town and we'll start chasing them and uh you know following them from roost to feed or whatever and uh trying to hunt the fields that they're hitting and it's it's a lot of fun it's not hunting very big numbers of birds they're super super finicky super super smart because you know they're just residents 
And, yep. uh, man, it can be so much fun. We had a really, really nice place that was, I don't know, five, ten minutes away from my house. That was probably our best area that we could hunt. But uh, there was kind of a, a five-acre big lake that they would always roost on. And then our city lake, they would kind of merge over there. So you would end up with 400, 500 birds in January all using this roost lake and feeding out in the fields that we kind of had locked down. Well, uh, nobody for the longest time could hunt this roost lake until one guy hunted it one time. And we found him out there scouting and we were talking to him about it. We said, hey man, you know what's going on? Introduce ourselves, try to be cordial. And we're like, we hunt these geese all over the city you know if you want to if you want to start hunting with us we can definitely you know hunt just don't go out there and burn up the birds until the last week of season and if you do call us and we'll just go out there with 15 guys and we'll just you know hammer down and have an epic day and sure as hell this guy hunted it the next day shot his three birds in two minutes and the birds have not been back on that lake in three years oh man yeah yeah that happens when guys uh, burn up a roost or something and right off the bat yeah it uh it just kills you man the hours and time yep. that you put it in learning scouting all this area and it's like yep it's gone in three minutes yeah and i think that's how some of it has changed around here in the last few years but you know it uh, it is what it is we'll just keep going yeah have to adapt just like all the ducks <laughs> leaving man <laughs> yep so uh is that what you grew up doing as a kid were you were you duck hunting public land or were you doing field hunts as a kid too i never duck hunted until i was probably 25 well join the club man i think i was 22 so yeah yeah my dad uh, always went to deer camp you know your your traditional deer camp you hear stories about and uh he would take me along as soon as i could hunt you know a couple days out of school uh, our deer week is uh, typically the week after Thanksgiving, and that was about it. Then a couple of my buddies would, uh, and you'll like this, would grab and hunt. Yes, sir. You know, I've, I've heard this many times over the podcast I've listened to. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, so that's kind of it. You know, I just uh, deer hunt for one week. Did a little bit of archery hunting, not a lot, uh, as a teenager, um, as a younger guy but it wasn't until a guy at work said hey we are just shooting geese at my grandma's place you know his grandma had a farm man you ought to come out we're just we just shoot them we just shoot them come on you'll love it Rod and I was always a trap shooter and, and stuff so I finally was like alright I'm going to get these special shells and the special license and spend all this money and I'll go out with you and shoot one time that was it now 25 years later i'm still at it plus all everything else (laughs) (laughs) that's the way it usually goes man it uh the most expensive freaking hunting leisure activity you can have it is absolutely and you start to put in you know all the decoys you, you buy sell trade whatever and then you know dogs and all of that then you get into the calls and yeah it just gets crazy but i guess i wouldn't have it any other way absolutely so how many years were you out hunting before you started tinkering with calls brother um this will be my 10th year of making calls so i'm probably hunting 15 years very cool I just made, 
made my first call in August of 2010. 2010. I was yeah. in August of 2010. I was in mm, Greece. <laughs> I, yeah. I was overseas for the whole year of 2010, so I couldn't even tell you what it was like then. Yeah. Yeah, just a, a little craftsman lead that I picked up, and, and it's, you know, starts from there, I guess. <laughs> well, that's a really short way of going about it. Well, what, okay, well, well, I guess, when I did it cross your mind story, to do I it? Well, um, I, I guess the longer story would be wife and I would always do make and sell craft shows, you know, in the area. Uh, one craft show I seen that Scott set up that he had made a bunch of stuff with a lathe, you know, different pens, bottle stoppers, some small bowls. But man, I got to get me a lathe. Uh, you know that's that's my next thing. Uh, I found a guy here in town who was selling an old Craftsman lathe, and I bought it. Um, researching what what you can make and different things, I come come around like I can make a duck call. I'm like, oh, that would be cool. And you know, at that time the THO was was so strong, and you know, got on there, um, just started started in on it. Uh, my first, my first call was a, a walnut goose call. I, I turned. I had to make all the mandrels myself. Didn't have any extra money, so I was making mandrels and fitting this goose call up and trying. I put some zinc guts into it, try it out. That kind of was where it started. I still have the body of the call here. It's cracked. It's pretty sad shape, but it's the first one, you know. That's awesome that you actually kept it because uh, I think I kept mine in a in my shop drawer forever. And when I moved, I'm pretty sure it got pitched. I can't find it. I can find a couple of old calls, but uh, yeah, man, I've. It's cool that you actually kept it ten years later. I probably kept it because you know I didn't realize the different size of goose guts at the moment. You know. And you drill a five-eighths hole, but you put a six-eighteen gut in it. It kind of loose, you know. Right. And it I remember it honked okay, but it had good guts in it. With being the zinc guts, but uh, yeah, it probably just was falling apart. I don't know. Here, year or so ago, I found it in a box, and I'm like, oh wow, there it is. So it's out here in my shop with me. Oh, keep going, buddy. I... Yeah, so I just put it on display out in my shop just as uh, you know, keep a reminder of where you've been. Well, yeah, it's it, it's a piece of history for yourself and for your kids to see it. And like right when I started, my kids were two and one, and I have pictures of them in diapers. You know. I think one was in diapers. I don't know. It just sitting there, you know, hanging out, bellies hanging out, playing with calls, taking it apart, doing their inspections on it. And uh, I have one of them, a picture of my daughter blowing the call that I still have on my mantle. And I think it was like somewhere in the 30s or 40s of a call that I made. And she was playing with it when she was one. And now she's turning six in like seven days. And it's like, that's not that long a time, but... It's still cool, and it'll sit there forever. Yeah. 
my kids are 28, 22, and 21, or 18, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so I'm at the end of all that. Maybe just graduated high school. Well, congratulations to you, and hopefully you have an empty house soon for sanity, but hopefully they visit enough that you're not getting uh, missing them too much. Yeah, no, not right now. They're all still at home here, hanging out every day. Uh, my daughter, my middle daughter, she graduated college, so she's waiting to start teaching in the fall. Um, my younger daughter is working, and my son, he works full-time. He just, we're just still in here, though. Is the, uh, the son the oldest? Yes. Have, do any of them hunt? Um, they have in the past. Uh, my youngest daughter, she's never went with me. Uh, my son has. He's killed a couple geese. I don't know if he ever killed a duck. Getting up that early in the morning just don't appeal to him, you know. It's cold, it's <laughs> right. wet. And uh, my middle daughter went a couple times with me. I don't think she's ever she ever shot a bird. But, um, they all like the shooting sports, so I mean, from archery to shooting a handgun or a shotgun or something, you know. That's that's so cool because that's what's missing so much. I think my generation, you know, the 25 to 35-year-olds, and 25 might even be pushing it, are the last generation of kids that, that grew up before everything was... Kids don't even move nowadays. I have to kick my kids out of the house to go ride their bike, and they'll be out there and they'll play for six hours oh we have to come in but getting them out the door sometimes is like kind of a pain in the butt yeah so yeah we've been yeah we've seen that (laughs) well that's what i was gonna say so it's cool that they're still involved with that type of stuff because that's the future you know with all the hunter numbers dwindling and stuff like that and i think them being around it's you just it's gonna be rare it's going to get less and less. It's going to be rare that people even go out and do that stuff anymore. Yeah, that's uh, my... Well, my father-in-law, he asked he asked us to go fishing with him last night. A little farm pond. And uh, so my son my and my middle daughter and her friend, who was never really fished before, all went with, with Grandpa, you know. Uh, that was kind of fun. I hadn't done that in, a long, in quite a while with the kids and with a father-in-law so it was nice to get out and do that and they were out there we were catching bluegills and bass nothing big well that farm pond fishing can be some of the funnest fishing you got man <laughs> yeah it can be yeah yep. <laughs> well that's good man I'm glad to hear all that stuff you know the the family aspect of the whole thing I feel like as a call maker sometimes myself and then doing the podcast and just all the extracurriculars it can take time away from the family and it can be a strain but when you get everybody involved with it it uh you know you to have them share the same passions and just kind of pass on the stuff that you've learned it just that's what it's all about yeah they uh they all appreciate the handcrafted and they're all crafty and, and doing things like that uh outdoors stuff you know it hasn't really kicked in but they do enjoy when we get a chance to go out and shoot or something so you always got to take advantage of those days <laughs> well what did they say when you uh because they were all teenagers or 
you know, preteens, what did they all say when you said, I'm going to come home and start making duck calls? <laughs> I, I don't remember. I think I just went to the garage and was started creating on something, which I'd always do anyhow. But with something, I was always tinkering. So, you know, next thing you know, I'm making goose calls that I used to go by, you know, and duck calls. And it just is ramped up from there. You get some silly looks once in a while. And <laughs> they, shake, they shake their head. But, well, I, uh, yeah, I, they're, they're all supportive of it. Well, that's good. I can tell you that, like I said, the kids were uh, super, super small when I started it. And now I'll walk through the house after, you know, tuning or something like that, and I'll just be ripping on a call. And uh, they'll walk out of the room, they'll be like, Dad, can you take that back outside? That is way too loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right. But then, of course, they all want their own, so. Yeah, they'll be like, really? Really wrong? Come on. <laughs> so, you start turning in 2010. And I, you know, I was trying to look through some of your your older stuff. I know you do those insane brickwork calls. I've seen that stuff over the last couple of years. And I saw the first one that you did, or the second one that you did, was like back in 2012 or 13. Is that right? Uh, yeah, something. Thir- I think it was 13, maybe it was 14. How? Uh, I was trying to. On Earth. Did uh, I? I just started putting inlays in my calls. I've been doing it five, five and a half years, something like that. And I've always wanted to mess around with inlays, but it's just kind of like you know, I keep myself so stretched out on time. Anything else new? It, uh, it's just the gamble of doing something new, throwing it away. I don't have time to remake this kind of thing. But uh, how in the world did you talk yourself into taking on that? Well, I guess it all started with a couple conversations with guys of where I was, you know, I was making calls um, and where I was going to go with it. You know, kind of some some people kind of steered me into looking at, you know, more of the custom higher end, I guess you'd say. Um, And the laminating just appealed to me is something I thought I had the equipment to do I had the maybe the ability to do you know you're always questioned but um, and then you know on the THO there was a actually there's a tutorial by Ron Gold on THO that had kind of how to put one together I kind of followed that and from there that first call I built it, I put it all together, I entered it in my county fair in the woodworking competition, and it was funny, when I checked it in, of course, Duck Dynasty was huge at that time. Mm-hmm. The young girls were like, is that a duck call? I'm like, yeah, so I'm in this great big building, blowing this duck call that I was entering in the county fair in the woodworking, and uh, brought home all the ribbons out of the woodworking from that one, so... That was kind of really lit the fire then. Yeah, I can imagine, man. Like, you know, I'm looking at some of the pictures of them now, and just, like I said, myself messing around with them and fighting to keep glue lines and stuff like that off of it. How many, 
how many failures were there before you figured out how to how to freaking make the blank and do all this stuff? Um, I guess there's quite a few. You know, there's always um, yeah something that slipped apart or didn't fit right, or you had to just kind of start over and you learn from it. Or once you got one done, it was crooked. You know, after you turned it, the lines were all at an angle and. Ugh. You know, it's like um, looking at one right here that I did shortly thereafter, and it's like it's by eighth of an inch off or something. You know, I don't know, but and it's like, well, you know, those are the things you do as you're doing it, you're learning it, and you just try to figure out a better way. And then from four bricks, I thought, well, how do I get five bricks to go around? And how do I get, you know, more to do something different, you know? And I just, that was, that was a challenge there. But I finally figured it out and continued to try to master it every time I do another one. You know, it's continual learning. Has it, has it ever gotten to the point where it's just, uh, like cruise control on a complicated build like that? Where you're like, ah, I've. I know this thing, I know what the measurements need to be, it's just business as usual, or do they still throw you a curveball every now and then? Uh, they'll still throw you a curveball now and then, you'll get some that'll come apart, they'll chip in a funny place, and you know, you just, it's frustrating sometimes, um, but you just, I guess you just continue to fight through, that's part of, part of it I guess, but it's the part that sucks. You know, right. there's days that it's just like you just want to throw it and, and leave and you do and some days you do you leave and, um, but as I've progressed I guess any time in my life that I thought I was kind of cocky and doing something something always come up and kind of sucker punch me so I try not to be that way and take each one and with the attention that it deserves, I guess. I, I don't know how to put that, but I hope you follow what I'm saying. You know, well, never, never, on, never on cruise control like you asked. Well, and that's when I feel like, you know, I make mistakes. I had one the other day, and it was uh, just a pretty simple call. Tips, caps, inlays, all that type of stuff. Wood band with stippling. And uh, I had it all mocked up, ready to roll. And I was just on the final part. I have a pretty big hip, like on my call. If you look at it, it's kind of got that uh, that DLC super flared out look. Ostevic has it, and that there you go, Eric. He messaged me the other day because he hadn't heard his name in a podcast in a while. But uh, there you go, Eric. There's your mention. But he has that super hard hip on there, and I got careless. I got a new set of carbides in that day. And it caught right on that hip, and I was like, that's such a rookie mistake, just because I got careless with my tool angle, and I was like, well, time to restart, <laughs> and I pulled it off, and it's like, if this was three or four years ago, I would have taken it off and beat it to death with a hammer, but I'm kind of past that time now, I'm just like, alright, throw it away. <laughs> yeah, there's some that, you know, it, um, but I, I've learned to 
maybe slow down on them here lately. Um, try to get them so each one, um, I think, is straighter and straighter and straighter and nicer and nicer. And you just keep refining what you do with each and every one. Um, and just continue to put them together. But they definitely haven't got on cruise control, that's for sure. And I enjoy I enjoy the challenge of the build. Well, and it's it seems like you know. Did you start with brickwork? I'm looking at a lot of your pictures and stuff like that. You know, just to, as I talk, it helps me go through it. But um, it looks like man, you got like crazy sun rises and or sunsets. <laughs> one of the two in there. So not only are you yeah. doing these crazy bricks that are at least straight lines of you know 90 degrees intersections you got all these crazy angles and as a call maker it just looks like an absolute i'd pull my hair out and i have Uh, a lush i have a luscious channing korea head of hair (laughs) so i'd I'd prefer to keep it well my age my hair is about gone anyhow so it don't matter um yeah, I've been raising three kids, you know, been married 23, 29 years, you know. Um, but no, those, like if you're looking at the one with the Marsh Sunrise, mm-hmm. um, that was a, it was a picture that came to me out hunting as a big, it was a terrible day to duck hunt because it was a beautiful morning. A huge bright sun was coming up. I remember saying to myself, that's a Marsh Sunrise how many people, how many guys, duck hunters, have witnessed this in all of time? You know, they've been out there and they just see that beauty. And I remember thinking that, and then, so then I'm like, how can I put that into a call? And then I was trying to get my call ideas ready for St. Charles contest, you know, laminated. And when you're going up against guys like Doug Nelson, Joe Coulter, uh, Andrew Hadden's been in there, um, you know, uh, Dennis Bumpus, he was, he had won out by the time I was coming in, but those guys just could laminate so beautiful. If you didn't have something to compete, you know, my brickwork was nice, but I needed to step them up. And that's where I come up with that and then how to put it together you know you start drawing it out and you almost gotta see the finished picture and then figure out how to unbuild it you know and then rebuild it in your mind so you can try to get all the steps in place and get it once I get that point I usually can pull it off I think I tell you another thing that you have to have is a sharp, sharp, brand new bandsaw blade and a really tight tolerance on that thing because that is one of my biggest, like, I'll cut my pieces down and tips down and stuff like that and then I'll throw them on the lathe just to true them up, you know, make sure everything's straight and then I'll do all my glue-ups and all that stuff. It's, uh, man, you have to have a... It seems like you've got to be changing blades all the time because your lines, and there's some, some of your calls and the angles and stuff. There's no way to, to throw it on there and chew it up on a lathe. You know, you have to be making straight, precise cuts, 
and I'm sure a bunch of freaking sanding, like uh, yeah. before you ever mock it up. Yeah, the as far as a bandsaw, um, there's some videos out there how to tune a bandsaw, and that really helped. I was at a seminar and see the guy how he tuned a bandsaw to get it to cut perfect. And I follow that each time I put a change of blade. I use those guidelines that he put. Um, but yeah, a brand new blade you can't you can't replace how much a brand new blade costs. It just a uh, call like that you start with a brand new blade and, and you use it. Um, as far as those angles, it's more in the design than it is. It's not like acute angles. I I hand cut all those hand hold those pieces with a clamp or something and run it through there and um, I think like on that Marsh Sunrise call that sunburst I was over two hours trying to figure out how to just clamp it together before I ever put a glue on it well that was like one of the first things I thought of because the brickwork calls I can understand once you get um you know the individual pieces together like clamping the ends like i can see that mechanically that makes sense in my mind but the the angled stuff man that it seems like you just had to have like a bunch of clamps i, I can't even fathom it yeah it's a couple egg wires some bolts uh clamps you know because that pieces are wanting to slide out all over the place that's uh, so yes. wild some of it then you've learned to cut glue cut glue you know each day you progress and you don't have as much problems you follow yeah would you not to give away too many secrets I'm just so fascinated and I have so much respect for the artwork of it because like I said there's some of the stuff I can understand mechanically like, are you putting five eighths holes all the way through before you start doing the mock up, or are you putting the, making it like the solid? Are you making a solid uh, brick, and then drilling the five eighths afterwards? No. Um, see, if you would go to Real Foot or to Palapalooza, I did seminars there on it. Gotcha. <laughs> so that sounds like a call out to uh, me. <laughs> you got to be there. And I've heard you say this on every podcast. So, um, the brickwork, I start with a 5 8 hole in a blank, drill it out, then I turn it into a cylinder. And with a degree wheel on my lathe, I lay out how many vertical lines I, I get around. And I made a fixture to hold it on my bandsaw to cut those, so I end up with long pie-shaped pieces. You glue, you basically glue the vertical lines together first, then go back and slice it into the horizontal pieces and glue those pieces together. Once you've got that put together, I open up the hole to three-quarter so I can sleeve it. and then once you sleeve it, it'll make it a stronger, better material, more glue joint. They're not leaving just that butt joints together, more like the tendon like you put on a lip rest or exhaust. Mm-hmm. It's just a big, long tendon that all those brick pieces slip up on. Hmm. 
That makes sense. Like, what... One of my biggest things that I've been fighting is glue lines. And like I said, you've been doing it long enough. I'm sure you figured out. Um, is finding that balance of what what my glue lines and trying to hide that and be as clean as possible you know and that's like there's not a lot of time when you're messing around with the glue <laughs> so right. ooh, are you just um are you using like a light like i don't want to take all of your secrets and put them out there for everybody because you know that's you've worked a long time to get through some of that stuff but it's just just questions um i guess mainly i use just tight box Tape on to wood glue. Gotcha. Wood to wood, I use tape on. Um, and I found if you have a gap, you're going to have a black glue line. Mm-hmm. If you sand it and get the proper fit, your glue line's going to disappear. Gotcha. And so, that's one of the things... Know, better, I was going to say, that's one better, of the things I find turning on the lathe to true stuff up is if you go to give it a little bit of sand right after you've ran it and try to you know make a, a clean face sometimes it'll have like a little bit of curvature in like if uh-huh. you know just from rubbing having your finger and running a piece of sandpaper over something while it's turning on the lathe you get just that slight curvature in and i can't tell you how many calls over the years that i've done before inlays that were just tips and then i get down to you know my dimensions on my lip rest or the exhaust and i'm like Son of a gun, this was completely perfectly flush earlier, and now it's got just that micro bit. I'm like, ah, I gotta restart now, you know, or bust out some coffee grounds and try to make this and see if it can look right, but it's uh, yeah, it's frustrating, man. I think when I cut a tendon or some of those, I take a little, a cheap little rule straight edge, and when I cut it on my lathe, I, I hold it up against there so you can see if that's concave or convex with the with the straight line of the rule you know look at you look at you using all these proper terms for all these smart people convex Uh, and concave that's what i was thinking of earlier that's that's the term i was thinking of i'm just from missouri uh, man i don't know none of that uh, you know yeah i don't have no fancy education just (laughs) just remember a few things but that's you know, getting those, like you say, getting that straight. But when you get it straight, you got a better glue joint and it disappears. The other advice I, I had gotten from Dennis Bumpus was um, if you have, you can get by with darker material with a different type of glue that leaves a darker line. So sometimes he would even mix his glues together, I guess, because it would leave a line or it would just blend in better with the material it was next to. Jeez. And, you, know, you know, he's, he's on, on the whole other end of it, so. That's why I love call makers. From all the way back in the freaking 1800s to now, everybody that makes calls that's not out there, even some barrel stuffers are doing some crazy stuff with barrels. Uh, you know, they're all a bunch of mad scientists out there constantly trying to reinvent something that's been killing ducks for 110 years and put their own spin on it. And it's guys like you that are doing just insane stuff. I have all the respect in the world for it because it's a lot of stuff that 
I think I could, you know, with years and years of practice and a steady hand, you can figure out, but it's like, holy cow, do you put in, you know, putting in that time, you just have to put in the time and freaking do it and mess it up and learn and, hey, I can rush through this or I can put half the time I need to do into this and you're like, no, I really, really have to slow down and make it perfect. And that's what your work looks like to me. Yeah, you, and I've, I've learned that over the course of building these calls. It's not something, you know, how do you make it, you know, you see what's wrong or maybe somebody pointed out to you what was wrong. And, you know, you try to make that correction on the next one. Um, I'll take that little, the little rings that the brickwork is, I'll say, I'll put a piece of sandpaper on a piece of glass so they are sanded flat as can be. And just by hand, run it back and forth until it's the thickness I want or it's flat. Well, I remember seeing um, a YouTube video. God, it was probably like 2013, 14. There's a dude up in Minnesota. I cannot remember his name now. I used to talk with him on Facebook back in the time. He ran Drake Dropper calls. Yeah. I haven't seen him put out anything, what? but he was doing some like thousand piece works for a while, and I watched him just sit there and tediously sanding everything and then flipping it over, and you just are like, oh my god, man. Like, you, you know, it's a work of art. It's pure yeah, art. Phil Brinkley, I think it was his name. Brinkley, that's correct. What happened to Phil? Yeah. I think it's just life got busy. Yeah. moved away from call making. Man, he did but, some yeah. crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. Him, uh, Doug Nelson from out in Colorado. Yes. Uh, gosh. He's put a thousand pieces into a big giant goose flute call and stuff that's just... It's crazy. Well, and that's... You were talking about THO earlier and, you know, watching different videos and write-ups and, you know, that... Number one, we've talked about THO being gone on the last couple. It seems like every call maker who started around that time frame, this time frame, anybody who's making calls should have read at least a couple THO forums besides, I guess, guys that have started in the last 12 months or so. But... The difference between not having that, but you have groups like Call Nuts where you can jump on and ask guys like yourself, world-class guys, that uh, you know that can kind of give you some guidelines and pointers. Does it give you like more of a... Because I have a lot of respect for guys like yourself and guys that are just going out there and innovating and trying new things because it's stuff that I haven't thought of or there's no... there's. Nowadays, there's a path to get to some ways, but a lot of things are just in your head. And it's like, hey, let's go out to the shop and let's try this. If it fails, oh well. Somebody's probably going to probably have done it and they're probably going to give me some advice on it. But guys that were doing it, man, I've seen some brickwork calls that maybe not necessarily like yours, but the, the segmented calls from the 50s and 60s. And then you had like yeah. guys like Wheaties and stuff like that that they were just doing stuff back then. And there was no information. There was no internet. There was no write-ups and videos. Like, does that just give you all the respect in the world, especially since you have the experience and you're on a world-class level of what you do? Oh, gosh, I don't know about that. But, but yes, uh, I guess the one I would like to go back and watch would be uh, William Clifford made calls in the 
30s and the 40s. And he made some laminated and some brickwork calls. And I just can't imagine trying to do that in a shop with a light bulb that Edison just made himself, you know? And it's just, to think of how he did it, I'd love to go back in time and sit and watch him, you know? It's, yeah, it's just amazing, man. It's... Yeah. I just enjoy it so much and seeing the way that guys do different things, man. It, Like I said, my mind can fathom it because I've done it for a while, but some of the processes that guys are coming up with and just seeing some of the different ways guys do things, and it's just fun. It's mind-blowing. It's always pushing the envelope. I'll, I'll jump on, you know, call nuts or something like that, and I'll see a picture of something that somebody's done. I'm like, all right, that's next on the list. I have to add that of things to learn how to do. <laughs> you know, all right, where can I find the tools? Who can I order from? All right, they'll be here in two weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun. Yeah, that's it is fun. And right now, there's so many guys doing so much good quality work that they're putting out right now. This this last few months, I've, I've heard you mention it. I've talked with guys. Uh, just amazing the the checkering the laminating the, the carving the guys are doing it's there's talented bunch of people out there I can tell you the decorative uh, NWTF next year is going to be deep <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I think so I mean it, it should be I, and I would encourage anybody to jump in one of them competitions um, put your put your best work out there. Just jump in and do it. Well, and um, it's guys that you know, like yourself, and you know Ryan Russo's and Jeremiah Klusman's, and you know, just the list goes on and on and on, and uh, that are just pushing the envelope so much farther and setting a standard that's so much higher that other guys are like, hey, if these guys are doing it, I have to try to do that. So the evolution of that side of call making is just freaking rocket pace up you know it's it's crazy it, it is how we've seen it explode kind of the last year the last two years how many more guys are trying carving are trying to check her you know the laminates that are coming out um the ryan russa he's an hour and a half east of me and, you know, we get together, we talk all the time. He's just doing some amazing work in, in all aspects of Call Me. Just, just top-notch. What's that been like to have you guys both just feeding off of each other, pushing each other, having that feedback back and forth? Somebody who just lives close, man. Like I said, I'm so envious. And uh, Aaron Winger was telling me about a, a guy that lives really, really close to me that is an older gentleman that uh, I need to go and see what he's been doing because I looked at some of his inlaid stuff and segmented calls and they're pretty wild too but uh, just to have that competition and friendship you know just to learn from and both evolve with yeah it, it is cool and, uh, Ryan and I we spent time in each other's shop working on different things uh, along with uh, Matt Hawkrick lives right on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. Him and I have worked together and goose calls and duck calls. And he kind of mentored me on tone boards. And 
you know, so it's nice to have those guys. And then we get to hunt together too, you know, sometimes. So, you know, you get out the blind with those guys and it's just nothing but duck calls and goose calls and who's doing what, where. We bounce some ideas off of each other or get some tips and, you know, just kind of push each other along a little bit. It's, it's, it is a blast. Well, and it, it just is like the completion of the circle, you know. You guys are making calls together, then you go out there and start using them in the field. Maybe not a crazy inlaid or segmented call, but, you know, just to, uh, just, that's my, like, I want to get together. There's a, so many people that have invited me to different places, but go out and turn a call on a Friday night and get up and go hunting Saturday, you know, afternoon or morning and go out there and throw each other's calls on the land you can go hunt like that is just so cool i love doing it for myself like i'll turn a call at the opening like the opening weekend of duck season i'll always have a brand new call i just made and tinkered with and tuned up for that week and it's like all right today's the the virgin hunt of it let's go out there and get it done <laughs> yeah that's it's always fun to take the new one out uh, uh usually take my real foot entry and hunt it through the year you know, not that it's a winning call by any means, but it's usually the best one I've put together, so I'll hunt it, retire last year's, and put that one on there. See, that's another really cool thing that I like to do, and uh, see, you're getting a new one every year to do, is I was talking to different guys, and they're like, oh, I just, so many different people I've heard throughout the years, they're like, oh, I just keep my junk parts or screw ups and throw them on the lanyard, and I'm like, I've done that before. <laughs> But I really like purposely making a call and I'll, you know, put my name on it and what year it was and stuff like that. And I'll hunt it all season long or at least part of the season. So that way I can throw it up on the mantle and the pictures that go with it, you know, I'll, you'll have your pile pick and you'll throw your call on there just, just for myself. And it's just those memories. I'll pick up a call and be like, oh, man, this is the one that I had just this crazy field hunt on. We, we had a grass field hunt that we killed, you know, a five-man limit of mallards on in, like, five minutes in a freaking hay field. And it's like, it's just the memories flood you. Yeah, I keep telling myself I'm going to put a brick-style call on my lanyard one of these years. I'm going to go out in the field with the fanciest-looking call I can probably put together and hunt. You know, it's, listen, I always say it's never too pretty to hunt. Well, that's the whole reason behind it. It's a hunting call to begin yeah. with. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and what I love about your calls and, you know, like a, a Ryan Rusa and um, Andrew's shapes and, heck, even Alan has a, a classic shape, is there's so many different guys trying to set themselves apart and make try to find a new thing, a new lip rest or a new groove or whatever to make it their own and then you look at some of the guys like yourself that they have those classic style calls that you're like in 10 years you'll pick it up you know and it'll still look newer but you're like damn was this thing made in 1930 or 1920 or 2020 because that style is just so classic looking yeah well thank you I, I appreciate that I I guess that's uh, what you know, some of it's form function, um, others just I like the way it looked. Kind of go with that, you know. Well, and it it's the just shape. that tied to the heritage. 
because uh, uh, a lot of it's faded away and I think going from just hunting and collecting just different calls to really getting into the small hand turn market and collecting that type of stuff and then making my own all the uh the flamed calls and having skulls engraved on it and all that kind of crazy crap i don't ever see it anymore and that's probably just because of the circles that i go in and talk to different you know hand turn guys but those type of things they just don't have any appeal to me and it has it's no tie to the heritage even though it's doing the same exact thing as all the rest of us are doing it's not that thing that you're gonna pass on to your grandkids like nobody's gonna pass on said x call that's a a polycarb infused and there's nothing wrong with polycarb i don't want to knock anybody that does that but that's got skulls and flames and it's pink and purple and it's like i'm not passing that on nobody cares about that yeah i don't yeah, that part of it, I never, I don't think, I've never bought a call like that. Oh, me neither, you know, really. <laughs> you know, it was wood calls, uh, it was a wood or mixture of polycarbonate, you know, something. It just had that, that natural old school look to it. And, and that's what I like, you know, just, just myself with lots of things. But, yeah, there's just something, I mean, wood calls... There's just something special about them. They're each unique to the grain and everything else. Um, you know, acrylic is nice. It shines up. It looks pretty. Um, I don't mind turning it. I only do a few pieces. But there's still something about a wood call that just is nice. I agree, man. You can do so much crazy stuff with acrylic. And there for a while, I was doing, um, like, clear acrylics mixed with woods like burls and stuff like that and uh, I was using clear um, acrylic for the tone board so when you get it all nice and polished up you can't you can't see the tone board you can just really see the reed or the cork and then you have your your burl tip and then your burl band and the burl insert and I really love that mixture but it's just not the same as a a clean hedge call or boat arc or whatever anybody from any area wants to call it that's aged and turned gold and or if you're fortunate enough green you know it just it it doesn't have the same um heritage feel to it right right yeah i mean the, the acrylic the plastics will always look the same as they did today they were made they'll polish up nice but like you said how the wood ages and colors it's just in each piece is a little bit different that it's just the beauty of it there's I turned it never thought that there were so many colors of woods when I started this I did not realize that well especially from something like uh, Cocobolo that has it's the same type of wood but you'll get your pinks your browns your freaking lighter color like it's just it's insane with different woods the different colorations and even the same species Oh, yeah. I that's, turned that's uh, an African Blackwood insert today while uh, I was like, I, don't, I had to double check a couple of times because I was like, this is big, big grain. Almost like a, it almost reminded me more of like a, a walnut just because the grain was so big. But it, I had, it was a second half of a blank, a piece, like a 12 inch piece, and I cut them down 
And I was like, I know it. it's African Blackwood because I just turned the other side of this thing, you know, a while back. But it's like, it, just the different figures and stuff. It's just, it's fun, man. I, I love it. There's yeah. no other way to say it. <laughs> no, there's not. I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah, if you ever uh, need anything with the inlay or something, don't ever, oh, don't ever hesitate to ask. I appreciate always, that, man. Always want to give back to somebody helped me somewhere along the line or gave me a tip. So my way to just pay it forward is just help the next guy a little bit and get him moving in the right direction. Well, and that's the the best outlook, man. It's yeah, you hear about call making of the past, and I wasn't there, so I can't speak on it. But you hear of guys that are super super secretive, and it's something where you came up with something. I get it. When you put in the man hours to come up with something, I totally get not giving away a tone board or something like that. But just being open and, like I said, the guys who help me out when I have questions, it makes all the difference in the world. And it's that information that you learn that when the next guy comes around, I'll get messages from time to time. Hey, what do you think about this? What about this? What about that? And I'll point them in the right direction because that's what somebody did to me. And uh, that's what it, it makes this brotherhood a tight bond versus having the guys out fighting in the parking lot. Like you'll see in other different types, you know, of competitions yeah. and stuff like that. It's it's what's so unique about call making. And it's why uh, I think so many guys, there's guys that do it here and there. But then the majority of us do it and love it and love all aspects of it. Yeah, um, and I don't, right now I think I'm having as much fun at this as I ever have. It truly is. I finally got a nice, comfortable shop to work in. Um, and the last year has just been so much fun. And just looking just forward to see what what comes around next. It's, it's crazy to see the trends, man. Um, if... If anybody would have told me in 2019, the beginning of 2019, that checkering would be all the rage, I would have said, you all are crazy because nobody has the steady hands to want to get into that game. But it, it seems like it always there's always the flavor of the year. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always fun yeah. to see what's next. Yeah, it, it will be. It, I, I think what call making is on a good path as far as handmade, hand decorated calls these guys stick with their checkering and their carving and who knows who's going to emerge to be the next big carver or checker you know that's it's going to be fun to watch yes sir I agree and I think it's guys like yourself and the and the Stelsners and the samples and the Rusas the guys that are always out there helping and passing on information and the art form because that's what it really comes down to. It's art. It's a functional piece of art. And uh, passing on that information and continuing the tradition of call making. You know, I didn't grow up in a waterfowl family. You know, like you said, you were a deer hunting family. But you best believe I'll be passing along information to other guys so it can continue the traditions of call making. Yeah, and I think a lot of it goes along with just the traditions of handmade, you know? Yes, sir. Everything's machine-made, you know, 
CNCs and all of that. It all has its place, but you know, there's still something about handmade, whether it's a piece of furniture or uh, a duck call like we have to make or, or something that um, you just you, you try to pass that on to the next next generation. If if they don't do it, that they appreciate it. You know. I agree, and I think. I think uh, Mr. Korea, or Channing, as we all know him as, he put it best in a very early podcast, is he set out to make a piece, an heirloom duck call, something that you can pass down to your children, to your grandchildren. When you're a customer, when you buy it, it's something that, it's not the flavor of the week. It's not just another... You know, it's kind of like that old shotgun that stays in the family forever. Something like that yeah. versus, you know, a, a $30 call that you can go buy from Walmart or Bass Pro and throw on your lanyard and kill a crap out of ducks with, but it's not the same. And I think that movement right now is as big as ever, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And like I said, I, I get freaking on the soapbox about it all the time, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, to do it and uh, just appreciate where it was, where it is today, and it'll be fun to watch, see what all these guys come up with uh, in the future. I agree, brother. Well, I appreciate you giving me some time tonight, and uh, you know, I figure I'll let you go get some dinner if you haven't got it yet. It is Taco Wednesday for some reason here today. <laughs> we we generally are Taco Tuesdays. So uh, yeah. we're doing Taco Wednesday this week, apparently. But uh, like I said, I really appreciate you giving me some time tonight, man. And I really love the oh. work that you put out. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast. I think I'm about all caught up. I got a couple the recent ones. So my 20-minute ride home isn't quite enough some days <laughs> to, get, to, to get caught up. But... Um, you know, mold a lot of different things. I've enjoyed what you're doing. Continue, continue to do it. Um, I, I think it's a good thing, and and I I appreciate you having me on and um, talking here. So there was one other thing: uh, the call that's competition coming up. Did you see that advertisement? Uh, yeah, I just saw that. Um, somebody tagged me in it today. And whoever it was, I'm sorry because I completely forgot. Now I'm drawing a blank. Um, yeah, somebody tagged me in it today. It's it just got announced yesterday. Yesterday or the day before, I think. Yeah. So I was just gonna say I didn't see your name in the list of contestants. It sounds like a, another call out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's seven thirty here, and I think I got tagged in the post. Oh, uh, I don't know, like four thirty, something like that. So, yeah, I know, I know, I gotta put my name in there. Yep, yep. You know, I'm listening, I'm watching. I'm like, you know, he, he says everybody needs to jump in and then get the feedback. And come on, Chris, I'm calling you out now, buddy. <laughs> well, I guess I'm gonna have to get on there tonight and put my name in the hat. Then I put my name in the hat. Now I gotta get a call ready for that. That could be my problem. That is my biggest downfall. I have no problem. I told, uh, I had been talking to to Meredith for years about, and there's Mike's shout out. Uh, You've listened to the podcast. He's been waiting for his. But uh, for years about doing NWTF and stuff like that. And this year I was going to do it. 
had everything ready to go. I was going to do just a couple of simple African Blackwood calls. Nothing too crazy. Just going out there, wanted to throw up my skills. And uh, it came close to time. And I had a couple of orders come in for some African Blackwood calls. And me being a cheapskate and uh, wanting to give customers some calls, I sold them some calls that I had ready for NWTF. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it, it always happens like that. And I think the majority of you guys are always doing them the week beforehand anyway. Yeah, some of those, you're, even the decorative ones, we laugh that if you're driving to the competition, you're holding the call out the window for the finish to drive <laughs> on the way there, you know. I, I can imagine, <laughs> and, man. <laughs> so, so yeah, but uh, I just wanted to give you a hard time about that. Well, I appreciate it. Now everybody else is going to be waiting for me to put something in there. That's right. That's right. But <laughs> a good thing. Then the other thing is, um, while I was on the line, is you know, if, if anybody listening, if they're not a member of the Callmaker Collectors Association, to to join up. It's a great group. That they're the ones who put in the work for Real Foot. They're the ones who sponsor that um, the fancy call competition that normally is in in the years past it's been in St. Charles now it's going to be in Lombard got cancelled this year um, I think they even help out when Jason does his you know they, they do a lot for the art and the tradition there's a lot of good reading on their website of the history of, of that so it's a good good organization you get a quarterly newsletter it's real nice and just a shout out to those guys for all that they do for the competition ends, uh, uh, collecting and information that they've put together. Absolutely, brother. Um, I know Meredith was trying to, Meredith and Will Shelley, or not Will Shelley, it was Waylon, I think, was trying to uh, get with, it, it escapes my name, who runs, who's always the one running CWCCA stuff? Uh, Brian Byers. That's right. Called a lot, yeah. He was uh, trying to get with Brian Byers about this new scoring system that he came up with and trying to get uh, just organized, kind of like uh, have all the big call-making competitions as like majors and kind of do like a, a call-maker of the year thing. He had talked about it right. earlier this year. So I think I think that'll be a lot of fun. And they he does, man. Well, obviously Brian does just so much with the call-making community. And... Uh, and it's just it's great it's great for everybody to be involved with it's great i like i said you got to get out to real foot you got to get out to these competitions and be involved because it just takes it's levels to this thing you can be a guy who goes out stuffs barrels and then jump into making your own inserts but it, you just keep getting deeper and deeper in this freaking black hole of call making that takes over everybody's life that gets into it and uh, <laughs> that's just how yeah, it goes it man does. It's on, it's on my mind 24-7. It seems like a, um, I can't look at a brick building without studying it. And I've taken pictures of brick structures just to go back to reference to try to build something in that pattern, you know, into a duck hall. And I'll nudge my son. I'm like, hey, you see a duck hall in that? That's insane. And he'll just shake his head. I'm like, come on, we got to go get a picture of this. That is too funny, you know, man. You know, the wife will be like, what are you doing over there? I had to get a picture of that, that brick. And they just they just shake their head. 
Oh yeah, by now yeah. they're they're over it by now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, it's brother. Been all my craziness. So. Right. All right, man. I appreciate it. Well, if anybody wants to reach out to you and get a hold of you for a call or just to talk anything, where can they find you at? I always try to like the guys give their own pitch out there. Um, you can, my personal Facebook page, Ron Davis. Uh, send me a message. Uh, Ron Davis Custom Calls Woodworks on Facebook is my call page. And then Instagram is Ron Davis underscore calls. Um, any of those three is a good place to send me a message and go from there. You know, that's a good place to start. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it and I hope you have a great night. Uh, all right. Yep. All hey, right, Chris, buddy. I have you too. Enjoy the tacos. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Take care, buddy. Bye now. Bye. All right, guys. That was Ron Davis. He's out of Ohio. And, uh, dude, he just... If you haven't checked out his stuff yet, jump on Instagram or Facebook. It's just mind-blowing. And um, it's just so intricate. It, You know, you just look at it and you're like, oh, that looks like some bricks. But you have to imagine cutting all the different pieces and the guys that are in call making they get it they understand it collectors get it and understand it but uh the general person's just not going to get the amount of work and intricate detail that goes into all that stuff so uh that was a lot of fun episode 24 wrapped up i gotta start collecting names and getting everybody ready for this giveaway i yeah i don't know how i'm gonna do it i'm probably just gonna write how many different times you shared stuff put a number do a random number generator um hopefully by this weekend somebody will be having a, a new call and uh you're gonna have to follow it on facebook on the btbn page to find out who won i'll probably throw it out on a podcast but um yeah i appreciate you guys for tuning in and i hope you have a great night